Well, Abraham Lincoln once said that nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you really want to test the character of a man or woman, give him power. And it's so true, though we really do struggle to believe it, I think, that most of us, most days, really think we can handle it. Oh, Lord, give me success. Oh, Lord, give me money. Oh, Lord, give me authority. Oh, Lord, help me climb to whatever, because then I would make it better. Just give me prosperity. Lord, I, I can handle it, and I'll do great with it. You're so easily deceived. Which is why we need the Word of God and the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and then reminds us that prosperity and humility rarely go together in a human heart. And they rarely stay together for long in a human heart. That pride really does come before the fall. Or as 1 Corinthians 12 says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In the reign of Uzziah, if it's going to teach us anything, it's going to teach us that truth. But any of you who thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. That through his life, we're going to see that success and power will lead to pride, and that pride in his heart will collide head-on with the holiness of God. And the holiness of God will win. It will prevail. Because as we read earlier, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That though Uzziah was secure by the grace of God, that we would see in how Scripture talks about him, that this was someone who was saved, who was God's, which is, again, I think one of the reasons why he's going to deal with Uzziah as he does, but yet he will um, die slowly and tragically and publicly so that God can make a point. And that brings us to our main point for this morning, that no matter how the Lord prospers our lives, let us make much of the holiness of God so that we would always approach him humbly through Christ. No matter what prosperity he brings to us, no matter what success, no matter what strength, whether that's in big things like running the world or little things just like winning a video game or getting a promotion or getting in front of another driver on the road or winning a little argument in marriage, so we thought. Whatever that may be, whatever success or prosperity we think the Lord may bring, let us make much of the holiness of God so that we would always approach him humbly through Christ. And we see in 2 Chronicles 26, Uzziah ascends to the throne in verse 1. 16 years of age, he's going to be made king by the people. This is after his father, Amaziah, who did right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart, because his father had reigned fruitfully and obediently for years, and then in his final years turned to idolatry and sponsored in the land, so God had him killed. And now Uzziah, at the age of 16, verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. 
And this is where we're going to see success and then the pride of Isaiah arise. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. That's important. Whoever this Zechariah is, we don't know exactly. He's a prophet, a priest, someone whose role in Isaiah's life was to instruct him in the fear of the Lord, to teach him about who God is and how to walk before him by faith, how to revere him and love him and serve him. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So almost 50 years of a fruitful, faithful reign. Verses 6 through 15 lists a number of his accomplishments. We see military victories in verses 6 through 8. Economic development and prosperity in verses 9 through 10. A growing force of elite soldiers in verses 11 through 14. Manufacturing of cutting-edge machinery in verse 15. All the things we think makes a great president, right? A great king, a great leader. Build up the military, build up the economy, build some great technology, deliver a great quality of life to everyone. And sure enough, we see in verses 8 and verse 15 his fame spread. The whole world came to know about Uzziah and about all that he had accomplished. And he's going to grow strong because, verse 7, God helped him. That's why. God helped him. Verse 15, he was marvelously helped. He became what most of us dream to become, right? Mighty, great, successful, But what's he going to do? Verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But when he was strong, he grew proud. To his own destruction. And what's so frightening about those words is how true they are always for us. There's never a time where we grow strong and proud and it doesn't destroy us. C.S. Lewis said that pride is the mother of all sins. It's the sin that gives birth to all the others. But it's from pride that all forms of sin sprout. And so here he grows strong he grew proud to his destruction. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Most believe those words were written before Uzziah's reign, that he would have had access to those words from Solomon. And Solomon knew personally as well that pride goes before a fall, goes before destruction, that we're never above that truth. Uzziah certainly was not above it though he thought he was. And the form it took was, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And remember, he's a king, not a priest. And so he doesn't get to do this. That certain priests get to do this. And the altar that is being spoken of here is in the holy place of the temple. 
right outside the Holy of Holies that a qualified priest burnt qualified incense each morning and at twilight as an offering, as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, as a kind of symbol of the prayers of the saints rising to God, as a symbol of both the holiness of the place and the intercession of the priest in bringing supplications and offerings to God. And so God even had a formula for how they were to make the incense and a time when the priest was to come and who that priest was to be and how they were to be consecrated. Every step, God said, here's how you do it. Well, Uzziah thought he reached a point where he could just mosey into the temple and burn a little incense on the altar. That he'd gotten to a point in life where I can just do this. And as we'll see shortly, he's actually going to assume that it would please God that he would. That God will love this. How does that happen? I think that's the question. I read this and go, how does that happen? How do we get there? There's two things, two streams, I think, feed this. Firstly, pride makes us think more highly of ourselves than we are. It's the first thing it does. The more successful we become, especially to the world, oftentimes the more attractive we become to ourselves. And therefore, the more attractive we think we are to God. The more attractive we think our works are to God, the more wealth we accrue, the more power we obtain, the more glory we amass, the more education we achieve, the more spiritual accomplishments even that we begin to rack up, and the more messages we receive about our greatness, about our fame spreading, the more vulnerable we become to thinking high thoughts of ourselves and frequent thoughts of ourselves and entitled thoughts of ourselves as if now we occupy a whole new category of human being that is just above everything else, apart from everything else. That pride makes us think we deserve better than whatever we've been given, better than whatever position we've been given, better than whatever assignment we've been given better than whatever role he's called us to play or a better body, a better family upbringing, a better job, more respect, marriage or a better marriage, a better spouse, better children, better treatment from others, a better seat on the airplane. I just faced this three weeks ago myself, sitting in the middle seat on the airplane. I thought, Lord, I I deserve better than this. I'm your minister. I mean, come on. Better vacations. More rewards for our hard work, which makes us feel entitled to better circumstances. Entitled to discontentment. Entitled to not being thankful. Entitled to jealousy. Surely even God understands that I have to be envious. Even God understands, given the lot I've been given, that I have a right to be discontent, a right to not be thankful, a right to be self-pitying, and therefore a right even to drugs, to alcohol, to porn, to luxury, to mistreating others. We can justify anything when proud. So fill in the blank. And so just ask yourself the question, is there anything 
you think God owes you? Anything. You think God owes me. For whatever reason. And pride makes us think that we're above trouble and rules and limits upon our lives, like people in front of us at the store, or cars in front of us on the road, or job loss, or financial loss, or disrespect, or inconvenience, or rude words, or suffering. Pride makes us think we're above those kinds of limitations and afflictions. Or worse than anything, anything the Lord might say that begins with the words, thou shalt not. Pride hates that. Hates, no. You can't have it. No, you can't do it. No, you can't go there. So pride makes us magnify our righteousness and minimize our sin. And therefore feel quite justified thinking and feeling and doing and saying just about whatever we want, whenever we want. Even approaching God without a mediator. Even approaching God around the priest that he supplied. That's the first stream that feeds this. But then secondly, pride makes us think more lowly of God than we ought more highly of ourselves, more lowly of God, that if we're not careful, we can wrongly interpret success and power and strength and the help God gives and the achievements that he brings into our lives, not as the unmerited, undeserved graces of God, but as something we earned, something we achieved, something we accomplished, as God no longer finding our sin offensive. We start thinking that he sees everything the way we see everything. That he hears what we hear. We start thinking that his character is not really so far above our character. That his thoughts are really not above our thoughts. That his ways are really not above our ways. And so we start getting creative with our way of relating to him as if we get to rewrite the book for relating to him. So Uzziah was right to assume God is patient. He was right to assume that the Lord was with him and for him. He was right to believe in the grace of God and that he was saved by the grace of God. But he was wrong to get sloppy with God, to get casual with God, to think that now as a recipient of grace that that freedom to approach God however he pleased to do with God whatever he pleased, to live however he pleased, literally with a king's ex. I can approach God on my own, he thought, without help, without a priest, without a savior, that somewhere, somehow, he lost his awe of God. And there's few things more awful to life than losing your awe of God, than losing our fear of God, our reverence for God. Not just a, I'm scared, bite my nails, run and hide from Him, but the kind that draws us to Him low, humble, reverent, worshipful, thankful. Which means that Uzziah, I think, was just not spending much quality time with the Lord. 
Because we'll see later from Isaiah that when you spend time in the presence of God, it lowers you. It keeps you humble. That the closer God draws us in, the farther our sense of His holiness should expand. It shouldn't shrink. Which brings us to our next point. The holiness of God. In verse 17, God's going to send Azariah the priest and 80 other priests of the Lord with him to help him remember the holiness of God. Verse 17, but Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. But for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated, meaning set apart, cleansed for this purpose, to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah felt so above the law that he even thought the Lord would honor him for doing this that God would actually be pleased with this. That's how delusional we become in our pride. Because it will make us delusional. That we will do things that God explicitly says don't do and think, but it's me, he'll love it. He'll love this. We think he's pleased with everything we do, no matter what it is. Now, the Lord would have been justified just killing him on the spot. But he's not going to do that. This is an incredibly merciful act of God to send in priests to confront him. In Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, it says, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So these were priests that were allowed at times to approach God. And they brought incense wrongly, and God killed them right there. And so it's a huge kindness of the Lord to send Azariah, the priest, in after him. And 80 priests with him. And it's a loving act of Azariah. What could Azariah have done? Well, we'll see what happens here. I'm not going in there. (laughs) I'll just stay out here and watch the fireworks and watch your king get burned down. So no, even he's going to pursue him and confront him. We ought to praise God for brothers and sisters in the Lord who are willing to do this. Actually follow us, find us in our sin, and actually confront us and express their concern for us. David in Psalm 141 prayed, Let the righteous strike me, it's kindness. Let him reprove me, it's oil upon my head. Let not my head refuse it. It's a mercy always from God and from faithful friends when faithful friends come and confront us and call us back to the Lord and bring us to our senses. What will Uzziah do? Well, verse 19, then Uzziah was angry. He was angry. How dare they confront me 
in this great act of holy worship. If I become angry when people confront me in my sin, then something is terribly wrong in my soul. As Habakkuk said, behold the proud man, his soul is not right within him. Something's wrong. If we become angry when people who love us share concern for us, then that's the first tip-off. Something's wrong. And I grieve how often this has been true of me. I mean, how many times in life I have rejected godly counsel, and it's never gone well. Because the Lord won't just physically appear in front of us and confront us, right? It's like that's what we're waiting for. Just God to somehow show some unavoidable vision. Jesus to show up on earth again in front of us and confront us. It's not how he's going to do it. But he will send people. He will send his representatives. He will send your spouse to confront you. He will send your parents to confront you. He will send your children sometimes to confront you. He will send your roommates, your neighbors, other members of the church. He will send your elders or your pastors. Any number that God may send as his representative of his word in your life. Because remember, Azariah, they're not making stuff up here. This is Exodus 30. Here's who burns incense. Here's who doesn't. So as they come to Uzziah, they're not bringing something other than the word of God. They're bringing the word. And he becomes angry. He scorns it. Verse 19, Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. In the presence of the priests, in the house of the Lord, by the altar of incense, and Azariah the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And we not wait that long to receive correction. Again, it's a mercy, though. In Numbers 16, you may remember the story of Korah's rebellion, where Korah and Dathan and Abiram rebelled against Moses. And what they argued was that, hey, who, are you, who do you think you are being like the representative priest for the nation? Like, everybody's holy. Everybody can do this. So they show up the next day, these leaders, and 250 chief leaders of the people. And each of them have a censer in their hands, and they're burning incense, saying, see, we can do this. Well, then the earth opens up and swallows Korah and his whole household and belongings into the earth. And then fire comes out from the presence of the Lord and incinerates those 250 men. And then God says, now pick those censers up out of the ashes so that they're incinerated, but the censers are still there. He says, you pick them up and you hammer those into plates of gold and you put them on the altar as a sign to the people. Uzziah had that story. And again, a mercy of God to just strike his forehead with leprosy. And even that significant, Garrett pointed out to me this week that according to Exodus 28, the high priest wore a turban, and from that turban there was a cord that came down and held a gold plate on the the high priest's forehead. You remember what that plate said? 
holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. This is the one who's going to come represent the people and be holy unto me, and his, what he offers, I will accept. Well, here's Uzziah standing, and that's who he's staring at, and on his forehead, leprosy breaks out. Holy to the Lord, unholy to the Lord. Clean to the Lord, unclean to the Lord. So it's significant that that's where God's going to touch him. The appointed high priest is accepted. Uzziah is rejected. And now he's in a hurry to get out. And so this side of heaven, it's never too late to repent. We should remember that. It's never too late to repent. But though the next time it may be too late to reverse the consequences of our sin. God may be kind and gracious, but there may be consequences. And we see it in verse 21. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. After 50 years of faithful rule, after 50 years of God being with him, this is how it will end for him. Pride is this costly. It gives you a little flame of glory and then it burns down your house. It gives you a little flicker of pleasure and then it eats you alive. By going beyond what the Lord allowed and then refusing correction. You notice how Uzziah even lost the good privileges that he was allowed before. And that is to go to the temple and worship. To go to the temple to bring an an offering and the priest receive it and offer sacrifices for him. To go to the temple to pray. To go to the temple to sing. To go to the temple to be part of the corporate religious life of God's people. By going further than what God allowed and then refusing correction, he even lost all that. Forget burning incense on the altar. He's not even allowed to set foot on the temple grounds. He will hear the singing of the people from a distance. He will smell maybe incense coming over the temple grounds to where he's staying, but never get to partake. Kind of like living next door to somebody who grills ribeye steaks perfectly every single day of your life, and you never get to eat one. You never get to partake. You never get to be there and be part of it. You hear the party but you're never in the party. Pride is so costly. You know, when Adam and Eve ate from the one forbidden tree that they weren't allowed to eat from, what else did they lose? Every other tree of the garden that they were allowed freely to eat from. Remember what God said? that Of all the trees of the garden, you may eat freely. Enjoy. Just not this one. When they ate of the one, they lost it all. That such is Satan's craft. He'll sell you one sin and he'll take everything in return. Everything. And I think we've all probably experienced this in one form of another. Just in that moment of pride and self-justification, we think, you know what, I'm just going to say this to this person. Whether it's your spouse, your child, your parents, your neighbors, whoever it may be, And as those words are forming in your mouth, you feel so entitled saying it. And as those words are coming out of your mouth, you know this is just so right. It just feels so good. 
and then you watch the relationship crumble in front of you. And how long does it sometimes take to recover it? You know, what, what was said in five seconds may take five weeks to recover. Or any number of examples where we just feel so justified or entitled doing that thing in our pride. And then we're still living the consequences. And so Uzziah will lose much due to pride. Verse 21, And Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, wrote. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, he is a leper. It's almost kind of like what was on his tombstone. He was a leper. And Jothan, his son, reigned in his place. So though God loved Uzziah, he was not going to give his glory to Uzziah. Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. God's going to love Uzziah, but he's not going to give his glory to Uzziah. But he will use the life of Uzziah to make a display of his holiness, a display of his set-apartness, a display of you don't approach me however you want to approach me. Approach me the way I say to approach me. And there's one person in Uzziah's life and after that we know got the point. And that's going to be Isaiah. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6. If you just turn over to your right, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, or Song of Solomon, rather, and then Uzziah. Uh, Isaiah, not Uzziah. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to say in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. So what's on Isaiah's mind? <laughs> he remembers. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are kinds of angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, as a symbol of the holiness of the sight. And with two he covered his feet as a symbol of the holiness of the place. And with two he flew as a symbol of the perpetual worthiness of God to receive worship. And one called to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah experiences the presence of God. Not in an earthly temple, but in a heavenly temple. He's not looking at copies. He's looking at the real thing. 
He's not hearing an earthly choir singing. He's hearing angels, real angels, calling back and forth to one another. The perfect, holy majesty of God. He's not looking at gold-covered seraphim. He's looking at the real thing. Real angels. And what he smells is not incense from a distant courtyard. He smells the very smoke that fills the temple. And he's not imagining a sight of God. He sees God. High and lifted up. And the temple is shaking. And the smoke is rising. And Isaiah knows, woe is me. If Uzziah was struck a leper for wandering into an earthly holy place and burning earthly incense on an earthly altar, he's thinking, how much more me? Here now in the presence of God, I'm done. I'm a dead man. How do I live? How do I survive here? That's why he says, for I'm lost. Now, why does he believe this? He's going to tell us. He, he knows who he is, a man of unclean lips. So the question for all of us is, do we know this about ourselves? Do we know that we are people of unclean lips? We are sinners. All through the Scripture, it tells us over and over, sinner, in need of grace. He knows where he dwells. He says, among a people of unclean lips. I love this. In Isaiah's day, there probably wouldn't have been many who were more holy than Isaiah. Not many you could look at that would say, now there's a guy that loves God, devoted to God, serves God, obeys God. And yet Isaiah, the fact that he lives around a bunch of sinners does not make him feel better about himself before God. He feels worse. So we should be very careful thinking, looking at the culture around us, seeing how sinful the culture may be or others, and going, I guess I'm okay because I'm better than this. God will accept me because I'm better than everybody else. Isaiah takes no comfort from that. In fact, the fact that he's surrounded by other sinners makes him feel worse, not better, because that's who he identifies with. It's not me and God in the world. It's me and the world and then God. He knows who he is. He knows where he dwells. And then he knows who he's looking at. The Lord of hosts. The King. How can I be here and live? That's his conclusion. So being honest about our sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people among whom we live... And the holiness of the God who created us, the holiness of the God who we will face someday, just thrashes pride, just dissolves it. We realize we're doomed. We realize our only hope is mercy. Our only hope is grace. And I love it. We get a taste of it here in Isaiah 6. Look there at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Love that. Even the angel won't touch it. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, I don't think he's talking here directly about Isaiah's salvation. I think what it's picturing is Isaiah's consecration. 
as a prophet, because everything we're going to see in the rest of the book is he's about to go be sent to proclaim a message to the world. And he's going to say, send me, I'll go. Well, that means he's got to have clean lips. What does it mean? I'm a man of unclean lips, so I'm going to clean your lips, take your sin away for you to go speak. But I think there are analogies to salvation. It does sort of give a bit of a parallel view because in the same way with salvation, we have to see our sinfulness before a holy God. We have to see that our only hope is him providing some kind of atonement. I can't do it. He has to do it. And then God's supplying it, which brings us to our final point, the humility of the gospel. That the gospel announces the way for humble sinners to draw near to God and be saved. And amazingly, the way that God is going to provide it is through the humility of his son. That's why this idea of the humility of the gospel. Listen to this in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, By being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That like Uzziah, Jesus is a king from the tribe of Judah. But unlike Uzziah, Jesus has a right to serve as a priest. But not because he's a Levite. But Hebrews 7 will say because of his indestructible life. Because he's God in the flesh. He's from a whole different priestly line. That though he's king, he's also high priest. Listen to Hebrews 9, that when Christ appeared, so though he was exalted, he's going to lower himself, taking the form of a man. Though he was rich, he's going to become poor. So he's going to go the opposite direction to Uzziah. Uzziah's trying to climb up. And God's going to say, that's not how you get up here. No, I'm going to come down, and I'll bring you up. So when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not just the earthly holy place, the heavenly holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In other words, that place where Isaiah stood, and was undone. That place Uzziah thought he could go and not be undone is the place that Jesus enters and provides a way of salvation. And he did it through first humbling himself and becoming a man, giving up exaltation and glory to be crucified. And so God is able to bring us near, forgive us and dwell with us forever without ever compromising the holiness of his nature, the holiness of his character, because Jesus Christ paid for sin. 
Because Jesus Christ can cleanse sinners. Because we can approach now, says the throne of grace, with confidence. Why? Because Jesus is there. Because there's a high priest who has a right to minister at that altar. That's the gospel. And the humble hear that news and they rejoice. The humble hear that news and they sing praise. The humble in heart do not try to approach God on their own merit. This is what separates the Christian gospel from every other religion in the whole world. That's going to give you however many steps, however many means to get to God on your own. You don't need Jesus. You don't need a mediator. You don't need him. If you'll just do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this, do more of this, you'll get there. And the scary part is, is you will get there. And then you will be struck. As Uzziah was struck. But for us, we hear the gospel, believe, and then gladly approach God through Jesus. Listen to this in Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now the humble will with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Love that. We hear the gospel. A way of salvation has been provided. Forgiveness of sins is provided. Here it is in Jesus. We hear, we believe, and now we approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because we're not the one offering incense. We're not the one whose works are being measured and tested. His works, and they're accepted, and now we approach with confidence to receive grace. Still one of my favorite testimonies. Um, when we were living in Texas, there was a gym I worked at for years, or work, worked out at for years. Well, kind of worked out at. I, I attended for years. I went in for years. And the owner was a professional bodybuilder, one of the largest men I've ever seen. Like his, I kid you not, his arms were bigger than my thighs. And won competitions. I mean, some of the pictures of him in his prime. Um, and he was successful, wealthy, attractive, strong. And some had shared the gospel with him in the past, and he just rejected it. He just didn't need it. He just always, yeah, he was successful and strong. One day he was getting mailed his mailbox, and he started to have pain in his chest, and then pain all over his body, and he collapsed. And a neighbor saw it and called an ambulance. The ambulance gets out there. All his organs are shutting down, and they have to revive him, take him to the hospital, save his life, actually save his life. And then they do all these tests, and try to figure out what happened, and they trace it back to the origin on his shoulder. He was bitten by an ant, and he was allergic to ants, and he didn't know it. It was the first time he'd ever been bitten by an ant. He was bitten by an ant, and he started to die all his organs started to shut down from an allergic reaction. The Lord used that event to humble him and bring him to Christ. Because every day thereafter, he walked around with an EpiPen in his pocket in case an ant ever bit him. Because he knew, if an ant bites me, I die. And that was his reminder. You talk about God lowering the proud and showing him need where he thought he was strong and mighty, and all it took was an ant. That's how God will do it. 
I'll send you an ant, and an ant will almost kill you to show you how weak, how fragile, how vulnerable, how not great, not mighty, not able to stand before him we are. And that's part of his testimony now, how God saved him through an ant. He'd heard the gospel, but then it was an ant that God used to bring him to his knees. So are you here today and you're alienated from God? You don't know him, you don't love him? And you know that if you die, you're banking on the hope that he's no better than you are. That you'll stand before him and just show your works and he'll be pleased. Show your good deeds and that will be satisfied. Well, the message from Uzziah is don't go that way. Be humble. See your sin. See your need for the grace of God because of the holiness of God and turn to Christ. Or if you're here today and you're already reconciled to God in Christ, you really are his child, well, then the message is the same. Be humble. Make much of the holiness of God. Spend the kind of time with God, the kind of time in prayer, the kind of time with his people that actually feeds your awareness of his holiness, that feeds your awe of God that feeds your boasting in Christ and his cross alone, that feeds even, I would say, your thanksgiving for suffering, thanksgiving for hardship, thanksgiving for the little ants that he's going to bring into your life that just humble you, that are gifts of his grace. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll close here that Paul is going to tell a story in 2 Corinthians 12 about being called up into heaven. Or he says, into the third heaven, which means to the place where Isaiah was, into the very presence of God to see visions. So God's going to show him all these things. He's going to see all these things. And he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me. Why? He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me from becoming proud. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, which means it was bad. Paul suffered a lot, and we don't see him praying that much for God to take away things. So whatever this was, it was bad. It hurt. He pleads to take it away. But he said to me, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Not strength, but weakness. And then here's Paul's response. I love it. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. He's going to be like, All right, Lord, then give me two. I'll boast in it. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That Paul came to realize that hardships in his life was the love of God in action. It's not, just, it's not so much punishing us, and because of this, it's often formative. It's for what we don't see coming. It's protection from the great cancer of pride. Because amazingly, affliction never destroyed anyone's soul, but pride will. That suffering never destroyed anybody's relationship with God. 
but pride will. And so Paul realizes it's better to have a thorn of affliction than a heart of conceit. To have a messenger of Satan torment you is better than having pride destroy you. Having people around you that God uses to sharpen you and help you and correct you and challenge you is better than just growing proud to your own destruction. So whether we're here and need Christ or here and have Christ, Scripture says be humble. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble.